Father, in Jesus' name, again, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord God, that you would allow us another day to wake up from our sleep and our slumber to worship you. Indeed, we can say with our hearts, one more time, one more time, we're just glad to be in his presence one more time. Uh, so, Father, uh, now, if our hearts are not yet open, and we ask you that you would help us to open our hearts now to your word. Help us to get to the crux of what you're speaking to us today. Because we do want to hear from God. We just don't want this to be another exercise of futility, like we're watching television or uh, just to go to hear someone else, else wax eloquently about something that we like. But we really want to hear from you. So today, Lord God, bend us, mold us, form us, however you so desire. And we thank you in advance. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. In the passage it reads, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In our passage here in the book of Hebrews, we have several exhortations that encourage us to walk along a certain path. Not only here in chapter 4, but in many other chapters here in the book of Hebrews. But as you know, if you've read your Bible, that the same can be said of many other Bible books. But the book of Hebrews does so with extra weights, which should not be ignored. In 
fact, prior to our passage, two direct exhortations have surfaced, has surfaced here in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says here, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. What is the it? That is the rest, that rest, that peace that we get from God. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Both of these exhortations, they speak to the person who has seemed to have given up and lost all hope because they have grown weary and tired of the day-to-day grind. You know what I mean because sometimes you start off being very optimistic about lots of things. You're optimistic about your life your job, your schooling, everything. But then after a period of time when it seems as if those goals are taking longer and longer to obtain, they may be harder to reach. We just want to give up. We want to throw our hands in the air and say, that's enough, I give. Then sometimes we are backed into a corner to the point that we just say, what's the use? I mean, what's the use? I'm doing all of this, but what's the use? This is where uh, these people uh, whom the book of Hebrews were written to, where they had arrived. They had become so discouraged because they had been scattered all over the place and they had believed that uh, this Jesus was going to do some great things in and through their life and some miracles were going to happen and they lived their life and now they're struggling. So they throw their hands in the air and they just say, what's the use? I'm discouraged because of the speed of the spiritual progress. It is as if it is the pace of a snail running on the expressway. Imperceptible. We feel like this on those days. All of us. It feels as if the Lord is far away. We can't reach Him for some reason, at least, this is what we think. So in uh, the crucible of doubt, for the, the Christians here in the book of Hebrews, in the crucible of, uh, of doubt, God delivers this word. And today he delivers it to us through two exhortations. Two. And here is the first one. Let us hold fast our confession. It's right out of the scripture. You can't miss it. 
Let us hold fast our confession. It says here in verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us do what? Let us hold fast our confession. Let us, with all of our strength, hold on to that for which we confess. There is a confession of faith that has been carried down by generations, by many generations of believers since the time of Christ. It's very interesting that uh, the literal meaning of uh, the word confession, it means to say the same thing. In other words, what one says about this you need to say the same thing about what one says about that same issue. You see, when an individual says something different than what you say, you know there's a problem, right? When your boss comes to you, and I know this from experience, and says, you know you have not been doing that work, and you know good and well that you have. I've had these conversations. You know you've done everything that you're supposed to do. They say one thing, you say another, then there's a problem. So what this confession within the Christian faith says, that God says one thing, and God wants us to say the same thing about what he's talking about. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, you know what I'm talking about. People say, do you want to be saved? You are a sinner. You see, our first step, of having that spiritual healing is that we need to say the same thing that God is saying about our sin. Amen? But there's a problem when God says one thing and then we say another. That's a problem. That is not confession. You see, God, uh, he knows everything. He knows that you're a sinner. He knows this ahead of time. So when you come in as Mr. or Mrs. Know-it-all and says, I'm not a sinner, I don't believe in any of that stuff, I don't know what you're talking about, God said, you're not saying the same thing. God says, you're going to end up in big trouble. So confession says that we must say the same thing, at least on the one hand, uh, what God is saying. It's kind of like... Uh, how investigators spend their time investigating a crime. They want to know if things are consistent or if they are inconsistent. And based on that information, uh, a person can be charged or vindicated. In this verse, what is being said is not a crime, but this confession is a positive reassurance about Jesus. The acceptance of this understanding. What our confession about Jesus. And are we willing to hold strongly onto it regardless of the pressures that we are under? What are our confessions? What do you believe about Christ? What is your faith in Christ all about? You see, the, the author of Hebrews he knew, he understood that there are pressures in our life uh, that become so great 
that we can crack and uh, we can give in. There are moments that we can say things or do things uh, which make us seem as if we are not followers of Christ. I mean, come on, who, who hasn't given in uh, uh, when you were on a diet, right? You've been on a diet, then, uh, then one day there's a, a, a nice piece of, we'll call it a, a carrot cake in front of us, right? And, 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 and then someone tells us, well, it's not just any kind of cake, uh, but it has, has vegetables in it, right? They got carrots, they got walnuts, have omega-3 in it, right? Good old, good old carrot cake, we'll, we'll call it that. And then you eat a piece and you want another piece, right? You, you, you give in. You say, okay, I'll eat some this time. But what about when you were younger and your friends wanted you to do some things that you had no business doing? Remember when you first said, no way? And then they began to badger you over and over again to the point you finally said, okay, just this one time. I remember it happened to me one time uh, when, I was, uh, when I was younger. And thank goodness I say now, I'll, I'll tell you now, uh, because if my father knew, he'd probably want to come up here and whoop me right now. Uh, but uh, they used to have an open gym down the street from my block. I lived across from Simeon, across the street from Simeon High School, and we used to go on Fridays to have open gym. So this one time, we're just playing in the gym, right? We're just kids, right? Ten years old, playing in the gym, Fridays. And then one of my friends said, hey, David, did you know that you can get past the gates over there? I, I'm like, well, no, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm, I'm still playing, right? And I said, you know what, there's a really interesting thing. Did you know that if you get past the gates, that you can actually crawl up behind the walls and you end up literally on the roof of the building? And that's exactly what I said. Oh, wow, did I say, really? And then they said, you know, you should come on and check it out. It's pretty cool. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. I, 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 but I better not do that because I, 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 I get in a lot of trouble. So I, I, bet, I better not do that. I said, no, no, you need to come on. You need to come on. It's really, really cool. And then other guys around said, no, you need to come on and do this. I said, okay, just this one time. All right, so we go uh, into this place. It was, in, it was in the boys' bathroom. There was an opening there, and we climb up in the opening, and literally we were on the roof. And then they say, did you know that you can literally walk safely on the beams from one side of the roof to the other side of the roof? And you know me, I just said, no, uh-uh. I said, Really? And then one of my friends, I, mean, I mean, it's a roof of a gym. I mean, it's, it's expansive. And then my friend said, watch me. He gets on one of the beams, and he's going across, you know, teetering like this, and he makes it all the way to the other side. And then he tells me, David, come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. I'm like, really? Let's say, you can do it. You can. And, and underneath it, as you can possibly imagine, was just, you know, you fall. You're in the, there, there was no safety net. So, being a, a good boy that I was, I said no. But then I said, okay. So here I go. I'm walking, and I'm making about a quarter of the way, and I teeter, and I slip. 
Yes, I did. Oh, Lordy, I did. I slipped. And now I'm hanging on to the beam, and my legs are flailing underneath, and I pull myself up. And then when I got on that beam, on my knees, you know what I said? Uh -uh, I didn't say, Lord, help me. I, I said, Mama, help me, Mama. And I crawled, I turned around, and I crawled the back up. I went all the way back, and I went down, and I said, never again. You see, the problem, though, the, uh, the point of this is that sometimes uh, you live a life when you are under pressure that you can give in to all the riffraff that's talking in your ears. You see? And you uh, start to give up all those things that you firmly held on to. You knew and you know what the right thing is to do, but yet you say, no, I'm not going to do it. So when we talk about holding fast our confession, this takes on higher implication and eternal consequences that we should not and should never give up or give in because we need this confession. While you may have reasons not to hold on to some of the decisions you have made, now you have every reason in the world and the next one to hold on to the confession that you have in Christ Jesus. There is a confession that has been passed down for generations. Not the one where you have do wrong. If you do wrong, that God will punish you, right? Not necessarily that one, but the one that says that there is a truth about Jesus Christ that is being conveyed as facts which cannot be refuted. What is that confession? What should we be saying? What are the same things uh, should we be saying within our confession? And here it is. Our confession is that Jesus Christ is our high priest and he is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is our high priest and he's the Son of God. Again, right there in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest has passed through the heavens, Jesus, who? The Son of God. We thereby understand that Jesus is not an ordinary high priest. High priests, uh, they only ministered from the earth realm, uh, and they were subject to controversy, errors, and flaws, imperfections, and death. The word, however, speaks of Jesus Christ as our high priest, but isn't it interesting? It doesn't say just the high priest. It says what? The great high priest. It speaks of him in terms of his humanity. What was Jesus' responsibility as a high priest? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 1 
For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. You see, in his humanity, Jesus touches our lives by acting on our behalf before God. Uh, this is something we were and are incapable of doing on our own because we don't possess the inherent holiness or righteousness. In fact, even in the Old Testament, that before the high priest went to make a sacrifice on behalf of others, he needed to do what? Make a sacrifice for whom? Himself. Right? So he couldn't just go in and just make a sacrifice. It kind of reminds me as a preacher, uh, before I prepare, uh, get ready to preach or bring the word to you, do you realize I am praying uh, very passionately and intensely before God for myself? Do you realize that? That I'm concerned about myself. Never do I want to be here without saying, Lord, help me, Lord. I need you, Lord. Without you, Lord, I don't want to do it. This is, this is not about me. And I know that some, uh, they portray as if it is all about them, but I want you to know this is not about me, that this is all for you. This, what you are hearing right now, is God's love letter to you, to me as well. But as a high priest, and in his humanity, a Jesus, he was able to be sympathetic with our needs. Verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to do what? To sympathize with our weaknesses. Again, I think this is something that we as ministers that we oftentimes miss in, our, in, in the ministry of our preaching and leading. We oftentimes lead well, and we may even preach well, but we are weak in the areas of being sympathetic towards other folks. Uh, sometimes there can be this attitude of, I made it, why haven't you? But you see, it is not just the quote-unquote professional ministers, but ministers of a common sort as well. You are minister. You are also a minister. And sometimes, as a minister of God's grace, we can say things that, well, since I have the grace of God, you need to get the grace of God. And since you don't care about the grace of God, I don't care about you. What happened to being sympathetic for those who are on their way to hell and who have no hope in this world. Yet all of us are in the same boat. And all of us have needed Jesus to be sympathetic towards us. He is, and this is why he is our high priest, our great high priest. Now for us, this is the first part of our confession. Jesus being our great high priest for which our brothers and sisters for ages have uh, confessed and believed just like you and I have. Do you realize that uh, going back 2,000 years plus now, uh, that uh, the very disciples who had come to Christ, that they believed the same things that you have? The same things that I have, even with all the innovations, all the technology, 
all the vehicles and the skyscrapers, even in the midst of all of that, we carry a confession with us that's over 2,000 years old. And probably 5,000 if you want to add the Old Testaments. And going all the way back to Adam and Eve, if you understand it that way. So now, as the Son of God, uh, Jesus it stresses his deity. So we talked about his humanity, and now we speak of his deity. So as the Son of God, it stresses his deity as being omnipotent and omniscient. Uh, what does that mean? Omnipotent means that he has uh, all power, that Jesus has all strength, and he didn't have to do what some of us do and have to work out with weights all the time. Amen? God is inherently strong. He is inherently all-powerful. And he, Then he's omniscient in that he knows everything. Why? Because to be the most effective high priest, he must know the requirements of the Father and he must know the needs of the people. Jesus, as our great high priest, he must know the requirements of the Father and also know the needs of the people. To pass through the heavens, he says, uh, means that uh, there must be access, and this access is not possible without being God himself. This is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. This is the power of Christ. This is the all-knowingness of our Lord. The fact that Jesus Christ is our great high priest and the Son of God is important for us to know that we must have that deep down inside of our souls. It's important for us to know because we're able to hold on and to be strengthened right at those times when we are our weakest. At those moments when we want to lose hope and just give up, we think about Jesus Christ, our high priest. Now let us move on to the second exhortation. God's mercy and grace. And here's the second exhortation. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see that? Draw near then with confidence, he says. So if we have a good grasp on what has been said, and we believe it, then we are able to have the confidence that we need. Well, how can anyone really have confidence with God? Why? Because you, you, you can't see him, right? You can't touch him, right? And this is one of those questions that that Muslims and, and, and Buddhists, Buddhists that they suffer with, and many others. And they, uh, they desire to have a definitive answer, but all they have is a wish. That they don't have the confidence that they need. Why? Because for them, that assurance, <laughs> that confidence, it simply does not exist. They hope to enter paradise if it is the will of God. Right? They hope uh, their good outweighs their bad so they, they can be on Allah's good side. Uh, 
Even as we have seen in the Old Testament, the average Jew could not enter the throne room of God. Did you know that? You're saying, what do you mean? You know that in the Old Testament, the throne room of God was the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was set up. And there were many who could go into the outer courts. But then there was the inner courts. And then there was the holy place. And this is where God would come and speak. Then there was a place where some priest could go in to change out the bread and make sure the fire was still flickering. Some priests could go in there. And then there was the most coveted place. It's called the most holy place or the holies of holies. And in the holies of holies, only one person could go in one time a year. One person, one time a year. Now, if you said to yourself, well, they're talking to me all that stuff about only one person can go in only at one time a year. Uh, what, what you're saying to me is that I can't go in. And, 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 and the answer is yes, I am telling you that. Uh, so when you try to go into the most holy place or the holies of holies and you were not assigned and you were not right before God, what happened to you? Let's try it again. If you try to go into the holy place or the most holy place without being assigned by God that one time a year, what would happen to you? You would what? You would die. So you would go in with fear and trembling, even if you were assigned, not knowing what could happen to you, knowing that God could allow you to drop dead right before his presence. You see, for the rest of Israel, there was no confidence of entering into the presence of God. And unfortunately, these feelings have attached themselves to some within the body of Christ. Some people believe their salvation is dependent on whether or not they have completely complied with the set of rules in the rule book. While we know that the Bible is not uh, a book of rules, but instead it is about uh, the living word. It is about the living Jesus Christ. So if your salvation was not dependent on how well you did before you knew the Lord, is your salvation dependent upon how well you do as you know the Lord? And the answer is no. Your salvation rest solely on Jesus Christ and his grace. Faith alone in Christ alone. What is it? Faith alone in Christ. One more time. Faith alone in Christ alone. You see, all of this leads us to a position of confidence in our position in Christ. So brothers and sisters, where is your hope? Where is your confidence? So Hebrews tells us here in this verse, let us then with confidence draw near. It is the sort of confidence that Peter had when he ministered, when they tried to threaten him with imprisonment. Mark, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 21. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Acts 4, 29 says here, 
as he was praying, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with what? With all boldness. You see, that word boldness is the same word confidence we find there in Hebrews 4.16. But stay there in Acts because it was the same type of boldness in which Paul was able to spread the gospel unhindered in Rome and elsewhere. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Acts 28, verse 31. He says here, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Sure, there were some people who wanted to stop Paul, as well as others. Some people want to stop you. They want to stop your mouth. They want to stop you from talking about Jesus. But Paul did not have anything from hindering him from within. What I mean is that uh, sometimes when it's time to talk about Jesus, there are some internal struggles that we go through when it's time to share the gospel. There's something inside of us that impedes us from being free to wanting to share the word of life with someone that you know who's dying. Well, while the application is not the same, the concept is. God wants us to use that same boldness we have to share the gospel to draw near to his throne of grace. What is the throne of grace? Prior to our acceptance, God's throne was viewed only as the throne of judgment. You see that? You see that? Uh, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you may think that God's throne is a throne of grace, but for you it is a throne of judgment. Okay, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you may think in your mind that God's throne is a, a throne of grace, but for you it is a throne of judgment. Not until you have accepted by faith all that Jesus Christ is and all that he has done for you does it turn into the throne of grace. And this is true whether you understand this or not. You know, it's like saying, well, I don't believe in gravity. You don't believe in gravity, huh? Yeah, okay. Then you, if you don't believe in gravity, then you go ahead up here to the Sears Tower on the roof and you step off and see if, see if gravity pulls you down. You already knew as a kid I did something stupid and gravity was about to pull me down, but yet again, God saved me yet again from stupidity. Right? Uh, in, in, in our minds, we may not believe in the throne of grace, but knowing that it's there, we may not believe in the throne of judgment, but it is there whether you believe it or not. Sitting at that throne, either grace or judgment, is God who stands supreme uh, over all others. God's grace gives us access. We don't deserve it, but he grants it anyway. So the throne of grace it's now a place where believers can go and fellowship with God and seek his face for any reason. What reason do you have to go to God today? So the key for us understanding the throne of grace is access. God gives you access through his throne of grace. Now, at the throne of grace, there's mercy. Right? It says that we may receive mercy. 
Most of us know what mercy is. A mercy is, is not getting what you rightfully deserve. You know, uh, when it's time for you uh, to be punished when you were a kid and, 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 and you went to your parents and they called you down and you just knew that you were going to be disciplined and you go to that parent and they say, well, I just want to talk to you a little bit. And you're like, talk? Okay. Uh, sort of reminds me, I was watching a, a, a television program some time ago. Uh, many of you have, may have seen this before. Anyway, there's a couple of uh, parents there and the little boy in the household, he had done something wrong, right? So the, uh, uh, the, the father figure, he calls him down. He says, Jordan! So uh, Jordan, he goes down to the father figure. And, he, and, and Jordan, he knows he has done wrong. So he goes to the father figure, and the father figure is, is sitting in the chair. So he goes to the father figure. You know what he does? He goes, and he just lays across his lap. Why does he lay across his lap? Because he knew that he was guilty and he knew he deserved to be disciplined. But that father figure said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You need to get up. I just want to talk to you. That is mercy. When God doesn't give us what we rightfully deserve, that is mercy. And for that, we can say, thank you, Jesus. See, when we go to the throne of grace, there awaiting believers is God's mercy. He will not discipline you for your sin. Why? Because Jesus has paid it all. Jesus has already took our beaten for us. When God the Father called us to be punished, Jesus showed up and says, here I am. When God called us to say, it is time for me to have your life, Jesus says, here I am. When it was time for us to show up to receive all of our just due, Jesus showed his blood-stained hands, his side, his head, his feet. Jesus paid it all. And for that, we can say, thank you, Jesus. No one but Jesus alone. So there at the throne of grace, there at the throne of grace, not only do we already understand that we receive access, now God grants us, here's God's grace. Now, on one hand, we talk about God's access because of, his, because of the throne of grace, but now we speak of, in, in, in terms of, God gives us grace by giving us some things that we petition him for. Isn't that something? First, we didn't deserve his mercy. He gives it to us. We deserve to be punished. And then he's saying now that we can actually go to him and ask him for things. And because of his grace, he may grant it. God grants our petition, which we don't deserve. The bigger idea for believers is that we have received salvation, which we didn't deserve, for which we have already alluded to. You don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's grace. Period. None of us in here. I don't care who you are or how holy or high and mighty that you think yourself to be. None of us deserve God's grace. Instead, we deserve his wrath. So that is the bigger picture concerning God's grace. But there's, again, there's more to be had with God's grace. God can give us things through his grace. 
Paul walked through this when he was in a troubled state. Some type of reoccurring problem which plagued him. Finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and I'm reading now. Paul says this, so to keep me from being conceited, in other words, Paul says, I had the big head, I know I had the big head, I'm having problems with the big head, uh, so because I'm having problems with my pride, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, isn't it interesting that you, you can become boastful in what God shows you about his word? Isn't that something? That you can become uh, so big-headed that uh, you understand God's word, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you think that you're all of that. And Paul says that to keep him from becoming conceited, because of the revelation that God was showing him, he says that a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming what? You know, I'm. I'm I'd be willing to believe that some of us have a thorn in the flesh. Some of us may have a thorn in the flesh. It may not be what some believe to be Paul's thorn in the flesh, that his thorn in the flesh was that, you know, he couldn't, he, he couldn't walk. You know, that, 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 that Paul, and, and this is not, you know, that soul brother walk I'm talking about. I'm not, that ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he, when, when he walked, it hurt. And I can imagine that if this is true, that that thorn in the flesh caused him to limp, that every time that he limped, that all he could think of was God's grace. That every time that he took another step, that all he could think about, that I am here all because of the grace of God. And every single step that I take, even though it hurts me, it is because of the grace of God that I'm able to take the next step. I may not know about tomorrow, but right now it is because of God's grace that I find my strength. When I am weak, I am strong in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you see, Paul says, uh-uh, you know what? All this stuff that I know, it ain't nothing. Uh-uh, I, I wish I would because I already got this one limp. All I need is to have another limp. Now how am I going to walk, right? Uh, if I have the one, I have the other. What next? Verse 8 there, 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. So what does it mean I pleaded? He says three times I prayed to the Lord. You know, some of us, you know, uh, we have issues going on. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray three times, four times. So, right, because we know, know the scripture says, ask, you shall receive, seek, you find, and knock, it shall be open to you. In other words, continuously act, continuously seek, continuously knock, and it'll be given to us, you know, pressed down, you know, flowing over, you know, so, right? We, we believe this. But Paul said, I prayed three times, three. And I know some of you probably tell us one, you need to just keep praying, honey. Keep praying that God is going to deliver. But Paul says, I prayed three times. I pleaded with him that this thing would leave me. Verse 9. But then he said to me after the third time, in other words, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power. Remember we said that earlier when we spoke of Jesus Christ as our high priest, he was not only omniscient that he knew everything, but he was also what? Omnipotent that he was what? All-powerful. So he says here, you know, my grace is sufficient for you, uh, for my what? Power is made perfect in what? The weakest person in here is the strongest in Christ. The weakest person in here, if you know Christ, that is, you should be the strongest in Christ. Because it is Jesus who's trying to work in and through you. He goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest. There it is again, power. The power of Christ. If you are weak, let the power of Christ rest upon you. Look, verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content. You know, some, uh, some preachers, they wouldn't agree with this. I am content with weakness. How dare you? You are not a victorious person in Jesus Christ. You are not acting as if you are more than a conqueror in, in him who loves you. You are not acting that way. Paul says, I am content with weakness. I am content? That doesn't make sense. You don't know my struggles. You don't know my pain. How can I be content with that? I prayed to the Lord. I pleaded with him three times, and after the third time, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, you're not getting it with me. Come on. When I am, then I am, come on. I, I, I don't believe you. You're not convincing me. Come on. When I am, then I am, when I am, I am in Christ Jesus. So we get it, that the Lord may not remove that off troublesome issue from our lives, but instead gives us grace to make it through. I know we don't want to hear that. I know you don't want to hear that. Uh, in fact, uh, some of you may hear this message say, I'll never listen to that preacher again. Uh, what in the world is he talking about? He's talking about the Word of God. That's what he's talking about. Face it. We don't want the strength to make it through the problem. We want the problem to disappear. We don't want to make it another day. We want that issue to be gone. <laughs> the more grace we have, the more reliant you become on Christ. What does Paul say after the Lord told him he would receive grace to make it through? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, we need God's mercy and his grace. Mercy keeps us alive. You say amen. amen. Mercy keeps us alive while grace helps us to live. Is that something? Mercy keeps you alive while grace helps us to live. 
Why is it that we constantly turn away from the Lord when we need him the most? Maybe because we don't want that grace answer. But in the grace answer, we find ourselves the absolute strongest. Do you want to receive God's grace and his mercy? If you are a believer, accept it. The Lord loves you. And in your weaknesses, all that you are not, know that he, that he lifts you up and he wants to strengthen you as well. Let's pray.